parts. Um, this morning I want to talk to you about this prophecy that we read out of the Old Testament this morning from Isaiah. Uh, it's a prophecy about Christ. And it's broken up into segments. It may not be that clear on first reading, but we're going to break it down just a little bit this morning because it's important when we read this chapter in chapter 11 from Isaiah, we hear the prophet speak about the Messiah, Jesus. In the first three verses, well, two and a half verses, I guess, he talks about this first advent of Christ, this baby Jesus in the manger, if you will. He says, a shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse. You ever seen a shoot come out of a stump? Yes. You think everything's dead, right? You've cut the tree, everything's dead, and lo and behold, we have an oak tree like this. Had to cut the tree down because it was threatening the garage, and we cut it down, and lo and behold, not a season later, there's a new tree growing out of the stump. What we thought was dead has sprung to new life. And that's kind of what Isaiah is talking about. A shoot has come out of the stump of Jesse and a branch shall grow <coughs> out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. See, Isaiah begins this prophetic word in chapter 11 with this description of Jesus who will come out of the house of David, out of the lineage of Jesse, who will have as his attributes, his character, his nature, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and reverence for God the Father. This is the Jesus Christ of the first advent for whom we are making all of these seasonal preparations. We're getting ready to receive the Jesus of the first advent. And it's important that we do that. This is the Messiah Jesus for whom we're setting up our Christmas trees and our Christmon tree, if you don't know the difference. Christmons are those symbols that look like ornaments that are on the tree there that are symbols of the nature of Christ. So we're setting these up. We're hanging our wreaths. We're lighting our Advent wreaths and candles. We're singing Christmas hymns and carols. This is the baby Jesus to whom we are gearing up to celebrate with holiday get-togethers, family get-togethers, parties, giving and receiving of gifts. But Isaiah shifts gears in the middle of this chapter. His prophecy continues. His prophetic word changes its focus just a little bit. He shifts his focus from the babe in the manger, from the Jesus of the first advent, to Jesus Christ of the second advent, the Christ who will come again to rule and to judge. Right in the middle of verse 3, he says, He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Now that's the poor spiritually, 
not the poor monetarily. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. That's a different picture than the baby in the manger, isn't it? That's a different uh, aspect of Jesus. Isaiah is saying he's not going to come and judge by appearances. He won't decide his judgment on the basis of hearsay. He'll judge by what is right. He'll render decisions with justice. His words will bring everyone to attention. A mere breath from his lips will topple the wicked. Each morning he'll put on these sturdy work clothes and boots and he'll build righteousness and faithfulness in our land. That's a picture of a king in motion. And so what Isaiah does then is in the last verses of chapter 11, he gives us a glimpse of the coming reign of this Christ the King, the King who comes to us in the second coming. It's a kingdom of peace and unity. It's not at all like the chaos and disorder and hostility that we see in the world following the first advent. The kingdom of the second advent is markedly different. And Isaiah describes it beginning in verse 6. He says, The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a small child shall lead them. He goes on talking about this new kingdom, but in verse 9 he says, They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, he's painting a picture, and he's, he's talking about animals, natural enemies that are no longer natural enemies. It's really more a, a picture of the natural tendencies of people than it is of animals. In the natural world, people are predatory. Some people. Preying on those who are weaker. After the second advent, those natural human tendencies are going to pass away and humankind will be this new creation restored to the former glory of humanity as that of the image and likeness of God, the way that God first placed us in the garden. And so we see that the, from Isaiah that the, the first advent of Christ is linked to the second. You can't separate the two events. The first advent makes ready for the second. It's all part of God's plan. It's all the original plan. It's all plan A and there never was, never is, never will be a plan B. And that's because the prophecy, all those prophecies that lead up to the coming of the Messiah are always tied to the promises of God. Always have been. 
The prophecy of Isaiah is tied to the promises of God. The promises of God to His people that He would provide a way back to the garden. And so God has been in motion to reconcile His people back to Him, not since the fall, but since before the fall. Since before Adam and Eve ate from the apple, since before time began, it's a bit hard for us mere mortals to get a grasp on this, except when we realize that we are not mere mortals at all. By design, we were created to be in eternal communion with God the Father, God our Creator. hard to get your mind around that, isn't it? See, in the natural world, we tend to see things on this linear timetable of days, weeks, months, years, etc., right? We mark time and we progress on this linear timetable in our human condition. But God sees everything all at once. He sees past, present, and future. From His perspective, all of it is happening now. So He knows the fall from the garden will occur, did occur, is occurring. It's all the same to Him. It's all the same to God. So God has a solution to our problem, the promise of the first advent, the Christmas story that doesn't talk about mangers, the Christmas story that doesn't talk about an end being full to capacity, the Christmas story that's not about angels or bright guiding stars suspended over sleepy little towns called Bethlehem. The first advent, which began long, long ago with respect to the human timeline, it's a story that begins, in the beginning was the Word. This is the Christmas story. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory. The glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. This is the Christmas story. The Word to which John refers is in fact Jesus. Jesus is the Word. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, God communicated the Word to His people through the prophets like Isaiah. But in the New Testament, the New Covenant, God communicated His Word by becoming the living embodiment of His Word. And so, if we take the name of Jesus and we place it into this Scripture, it sounds a little bit different, but it's just as true. In the beginning was Jesus. 
And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Jesus, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And Jesus became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. The prophecy became the promise. The prophecy becomes the promise. The promise of hope, the promise of love, the promise of joy, the promise of peace, all those things that we celebrate as we light each Advent candle. So we've talked about the prophecy, we've talked about the promise, but what about this thing called preparation? Because the first Advent has occurred, because the first part of Isaiah's prophecy has come to pass in the coming of the Christ child, we have every reason to trust that the second half of Isaiah's prophecy will also come to pass. It only makes sense. And our gospel lesson this morning talked about John the Baptist who said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. How many of you are farmers out there? How many of you know what a winnowing fork is? A winnowing fork was a tool that was used, and I guess in some parts of the world is still used, to separate the grain of the, the wheat, the good grain from the rest of the wheat product, the chaff, the, the stalk, those things that aren't edible, not by people anyway. And so you would take your winnowing fork into the wheat and you would toss it in the air and gravity and the breeze would separate the wheat from the chaff. And the wheat they would gather up and they would store in the barn and the chaff, well, they would just burn it in the fire, use it for fuel, burn it up. This is the reason for the preparation. The good wheat he'll gather into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. I don't know about you, but I have this natural aversion to burning in unquenchable fire. I don't want to, I don't want to experience that. I don't want anybody I care about to experience that. I, I don't want to burn in unquenchable fire. Not only that, I don't want my wife, who I love dearly, my children who I love, my mom, my sister, my brother, all those who I love, my church family, anyone in this community that I care about, I don't want any of those people to be tossed into the unquenchable fire. I want to be ready, I want to be prepared, and then I want to make as many other people ready and prepared also. Why? 
because the prophecy becomes the promise. And half of the prophecy has already become reality. The second advent, trust me on this, is coming more surely than the sun will rise tomorrow. It is a certainty. It's a surety. You can take it to the bank. The second coming will happen and it will take many by surprise. Who will it take by surprise? It will take those who are not ready. It will take those who are not prepared. Is anyone that you love or care about not ready, not prepared? Don't be one of those who neglected to tell someone you care about that Jesus is coming again. Because the prophecy becomes the promise. And the promise we have seen, those promises are true. The truth of that promise requires our preparation. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We will sing Hymn of Promise.